Today we'll learn, we're going to read from the book, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. That's the scripture that we're going to use to have a conversation. And uh, we're going to have a conversation about love. How many of you know February is the month of love? Not just the Cupid love or Valentine's love, but you know, it's like love. It's month of love. So, so we're going to talk about love, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and now by faith, hope, love, this three, but the greatest of this is? Come on, everybody say, greatest of these is? Love. Come on, greatest of these is? That's right, it's love, okay? Now, I'm not just going to talk about how we all love each other. You all, we all know how to love each other, right? Three people. In this church, we have three people who know how to love each other. Come on, talk to me. You know how to love one another, yes? yes. Do you love the people sitting beside you? Yes. Well, go, go talk to them. I love you, man. Come say something. Love you, man. Love you. Just, just love you. There's people just sitting there saying, I love nobody, man. I don't love nobody. But we're going to love you. If you love nobody, we're still going to love you. <laughs> but we're not just going to talk about love. I want to show you for the next three weeks the power behind the love of God, the divine love. You know, the power behind God kind of love. You know, in a Greek language, we have heard that there are four types of love that are represented uh, by the one word love in English. And uh, we talk about it and we say that the greatest of all this love is agape, right? So you were, to so you were told, right? And so, uh, but the truth is there are eight kind, eight types of love in the Greek language, not just four, eight. I know, let me see, any Greek here? We have some Greek, but I don't think they know Greek actually, so never mind. Um, but you know, there are eight, that's a Greek, there are eight types of love. Now, you know, English language, as you know, is a very young language. It's the youngest language being used by major civilization in the history of humanity. Right, it's so young and it's lack, it's, it doesn't have a lot of vocabularies as other languages like the Greek that we're going to talk about, Hebrews and, and uh, you know, Chinese and you know, all the different older civilization. They have language that are older and so they have more expressions of different things. Except, but English, you know, it's, it's such a young language that it, you know, it, has, has, it wasn't even developed properly until much later because people in Europe... People in England, uh, they were speaking Anglo-Saxon. They were not even speaking, you know, English. They were speaking at this, uh, a mixture of German and, and local, whatever language that they were speaking on. But, you know, but English language, uh, uh, however, has been the most spoken and successful language in the history of humanity. It has been spoken by more people than any other language that ever existed in, in, uh, on, in, on this planet. Which is amazing considering. And you know why that is the case? It's not, you know, it's not like Britain has colonized the whole world. But, you know, but I think the key to it is because the language was developed under Christianity. The necessity of the language was developed under Christianity. And so Christianity is really the key. All those concepts of Magna Carta, different things, they're all scriptural 
principles and ideas. I always tell people, you want to learn English language, read your Bible. Read the Bible. In fact, go to King James. I know sometimes it's really difficult to read, but if you understand the roots of this language, which I believe is our Christian faith, then you will understand many of the meaning of the things that's being mentioned and spoken in the, in the English language. So quiet. You can debate me if you want. I, let's debate it because I, I know I'm telling the truth. So it's, thank you. I got one amen. So that's why, you know, it's so powerful, the English language, but that's not the reason why I want to preach this. I'm talking about love this morning, okay? So most of us know, if you've been a Christian a while, there are four types of love, but the truth is there are actually eight types of love in the Greek language. Each form of love that is being expressed in the Greek language each form of love have some form of power watch this to either positively or negatively hold motivate or even bind a person I say it again so you get it for all the eight forms of love that I'm going to show you Every single one of them, even though they are not divine love, but love is so powerful that any form of love would have some kind of power to hold, motivate, or even bind a person. They have such power because each forms of love bring benefits. Either temporarily, some form brings longer, in fact, lifetime. Some love is eternal over our lifetime. But the most powerful form of love, the most powerful love of all is what? Come on, you Christian. You've been told the most powerful form of love is agape. But I'm going to shock you this morning because... Agape existed, the word agape came before Christianity showed up. So when the Greek come up with the word agape, they have no idea that Christians are going to use it as a, as, a, as a love of God, as a divine love. I would submit to you that even agape even though it's being used in all the Greek scriptures, it's not adequate to describe fully and thoroughly the love that the Bible teaches that we can receive from God, number one, and also uh, uh, release to other people. Agape is the closest, has the closest meaning to the real meaning of God's divine love. And that's why we use the word agape. In fact, it's really funny. See, I'm one of those guys that when I read the Bible, I read the Greek version of the Bible and I read the English version of the Bible, meaning that I would research the Greek, the Greek words behind some of the Bible. And when you see a, 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 a verse in the Bible with the Greek words behind it, most Christians, and I did that in the past, is that I will have um, the Christian concordance or, or the Christian vine or whatever, all those Christian di um, dictionary to explain to me in Christian context what it means. 
But you know, I'm a rebellious kind of guy because I think to myself, well, you know, Christian does not have the monopoly to explain and have um, the definition of all the Greek words. So I want to know generally what it means outside the whatever the, the theological community had developed. So I would actually take the general Greek dictionary to look at what they have to say about each of the words that we, we take it as, as, as scriptural words. And I want to compare between what is orig- originally meant and then what is actually being, being, spoke about in, being spoken about in the Bible. Did, did you get that or did that confuse you? Right? So, so, so I'm one of those very curious guys who just want to find out. But even agape is not adequate to describe fully and thoroughly the love the Bible teaches. My hope is to show you, watch this, the supernatural power that we can harness from this supernatural love that the Bible speaks of. I'm going to call them agape beyond. I just made up a new word. Agape beyond. Some people say, why don't you use beyond agape? I don't know. It just sounds cooler if you kind of twist it around like, like, that, like that Star Wars green guy. What's his name? Yoda, right? He always talked reverse, right? So that's what I'm trying to do is try to talk reverse so it looks deeper. He, he looks so deep, you know. He's, just, you know it's, he's like having broken English all the time. People are like, oh, he's so deep. He's not deep, man. He has just broken English. But, you know, since people realize, you know, think that, you know, if I reverse anything, it's going to sound deep, so I'm reversing it. Agape beyond. My hope is to show you that this agape beyond or what agape attempts to represent um, uh, is in the Bible can significantly, watch this, improve your life, your finances. It can improve your faith, your healing, and bring many supernatural breakthroughs for you. For those of you who were here yesterday, and you saw that the gifts of God was flowing so freely here. I mean, we've got people just packed this place, balcony everywhere. And people got healed, prophecy was flowing like river. Why? You know, people are like, wow, I, I, wish, I wish I can operate that. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the book of love. It talks about the love, but it's, it's really interesting. If you look at chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is not trying to talk about love. His whole intent of the whole conversation about love is you can find it in chapter 12. You see, in, in the original Bible, there's no chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, right? There's no such thing. It's just one big flow of big letters. And so if you take out the chapters, you can see the flow of his thoughts. And the flow of his thoughts was that he was trying to teach Christians how to operate in the gifts. So in chapter 12, he's talking about, you know, different gifts. And then he, he, he and by the end of it, he said, you, you want to covet the best gifts. And then he said, the best gift is prophecy. And then, but the point is that you need to covet it. And you need to want it. Otherwise, the gifts will not flow. And then he added this, but I'm going to show you a better way than coveting to get the gifts flowing. And then he went into 13. So in other words, for you and I to flow freely and powerfully, Ooh, it's your old, my saliva. Freely empowered. <laughs> Poku, concentrate, you know. I get distracted all the time. <sighs> if you and I are able to flow freely in the gifts, 
We need to know what the love of God is, what this divine love is, not just general love, but what this divine love is. Because friends, a lot of people are so confused about the love, the human love, the soulish love, the intellectual love, and they really don't know what the love of God is. And then when you listen to the conversation, and in fact, you listen to some of the worship music, it's very soulish. It's very not really the agape or the agape beyond kind of love, but it's just very, it's, it's, it's love. Love, nonetheless, is powerful. But oh, the desire of God is that you and I know and understand the love that is beyond agape, the divine love that, you know, Paul the Apostle actually outlined in chapter 13. Then in this series, I will show you what the power that you can harness. And one of them I just share with you is, is you know, that when you have the love of God, man, you can flow in the gift supernaturally. Some people know, have all the knowledge in the world about the gifts of the Spirit, but they can't flow. Why? Because there is a lack of love. They, they don't understand. They, they fast and they pray and they beg and they holler and do all kinds of rigmarole, went to all kinds of school, you know, different school. and It's not flowing and they don't understand why. And Paul is trying to show you that the reason is because you need love. Everybody say to your neighbor, you need love. Come on, tell your neighbor, you need love. You're not doing it. Come on, tell your neighbor you need love. This is a body ministry, man. Some of you just sitting there and go, that's okay. God loves you anyways. You need love especially, Shandai. <laughs> Stop offending people, Pastor Paul. No, I'm not. I'm not trying to. <laughs> anyways. So anyway, so I want to show you how you can harness this supernatural power behind the love of God, the divine love. But before I do that, I want to show you the egg type of love that's been described in the Greek words. And each of them, watch this, each of them has the corresponding power and benefits. Each of them have corresponding power. Each of them, even though they're not divine love, but love in of itself is very powerful. I'm going to show you some of those love that is so powerful that it changes the destiny of nation. So there are eight of them. The first one is eros or erotic love. This is a kind of love that is named after the Greek god of love and fertility. How many know what eros is? Right, you don't know eros. Come on. Eros has come from the word erotic. Don't go act all holy, right? Eros represents the idea of sexual passion and desire. Eros is a primal, the most primal, basic form of love. But however primal it is, it's very, very powerful. It's so powerful. The powerful fire that burns a lot of people. Well, it burns very quickly and momentarily, but it's powerful nonetheless. And this love is centered around the selfish aspects of love. That is personal infatuation and physical pleasure. That's the benefits it brings. It brings tremendous spiritual pleasure. 
He said, oh, I really don't believe that Eros is really power, that powerful. Well, check this out. This kind of Eros is now a multi-billion dollars industry. And its perversion it's to nonetheless from the root of Eros. It's a multi-billion dollars industry. People are so bound by its power that they're addicted to pornography and all the sexual illicit vices that they just can't let go. It just it has such a hold of them. He had broken marriages after marriages. It is so powerful that it has been used to seduce and influence emperor, kings in history. And today it has been used to seduce politicians, powerful CEOs. It's so powerful that many of the people with great influence and power would lose control of themselves, lose control of their own empire, lose control of their business, lose control of everything. And even pastors had been caught in this, you know. And, and you know, you heard a lot of stories about great men and women of God had fallen into sin. And, you know, you think to yourself, when I was young, I heard a pastor, I, I, there was this pastor that, that, you know, of a church that's down the street from us. I mean, he was handsome, you know. I don't know why I say he's handsome because I can't even remember how it looks like. But anyways, let's give him that. He was handsome, you know. And then he was very talented. You know, he could play piano. Right? I mean, so cool. All the talents could sing and all that. And then they say that he had this wife that is so beautiful. She's like a model. Beautiful wife. Not only was she beautiful, she was rich too. Shaka. What a jackpot, right? Beautiful and rich. And yet this fellow was having an affair with an old woman in the church. Now, older is not ugly. Don't say, oh, you know, I love, you know, old is beautiful. But this one was not good looking. How do I know that? Well, you know, he, she came, she, she came to my father to ask for counseling because she felt that that pastor has lost interest in her. And then the pastor confessed to my dad, yeah. And you know, the gossip in the family, of course we have conversation about it, right? It's like, this guy's so stupid. He gave up every. He lost his job, of course, as a pastor because it all came out that, you know, he was having an affair with this older woman. I think she was, I don't know what she was doing. Maybe as a, she was cleaning the church or whatever, cleaning the office or whatever. And the pastor was working late night in the office, you know, working late night. And he lost everything. And you think to yourself, if this eros has no power, how could it seduce a man of God who had everything going for him and he was willing to let it go. It's not even a pretty woman he let it go for. But that's not the point, is it? It's the power behind it. It has been used to manipulate in marriages. And so many had been the victims by the hundreds of millions. Let's not just talk about the evangelical community. We all heard about sexual abuses 
even in Catholic churches. And let's not just talk about Catholic churches. It happens in all religion. I was sharing this morning in first service. You know, I was reading about, you know, this in, in Hinduism, there's this sect in India. Anybody from India? Let me check, check. If you're from India, raise your hand and I won't say anything. Okay, great. Okay, I didn't say anything. All right. So, you know, in India, there was this religious sect that the, the priests, they usually live by the water. And they're all the little tents by the water. And the parents would take their children, the youngsters, to the priests for the purpose of them being molested by the priests so that they could be sanctified. So it can become holy. I mean, they made a perversion. I mean, they're not the original one to try to use, use perversion in religion. I mean, we all know, if you read the Bible, is that there have been you know, temple prostitutes. So the form of worship is the having and engage, you know, sexual activities with, with, with the temple prostitute. That's a form of worship. That's the depravity and the perversion that the devil has, had brought to this thing called Eros as meant to be for husband and wife to be beautiful. It's awesome. It's the most powerful force that bind the wife and husband together. It's like when I, you know, I, when I was young, I was listening to a pastor. He used to say to me, he said that, you know, it's, it's like I love my my wife so much that there's nothing else I could no words I could use to express my love and that's when intimacy is so powerful and so but, but it sounds pretty x-rated some of you younger just close your eyes right but you know I, I'm just telling you that's such a power to bind the husband and wife together if it's done properly but it's been so perverted it's been so belittled it, it, the value has been it has been just you know it's just take the, the, the society we're living in has so devalued this 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 intimacy this eros but he has power nonetheless. Very, very powerful. And if you're not, even you and I are not careful, we will fall prey to the perversion, but it still has amazing power on us. And if this morning, if you're bound by Eros in Jesus' name, you're going to be set free if you want it. You will be set free from pornography. You'll be set free from all the sexual vices, perverted sexual vices. But you will be set free, not with your own works, not going cold turkey, whatever. That doesn't work. I tried it and it didn't work. I got set free because I understood. I came to the understanding of the grace of God. Is that he wasn't judging me. He wasn't condemning me. Even though I failed many times. He said I love you. When I discovered the grace of God. When I discovered that I can fall a thousand times. I can still come and worship him. Because he had forgiven my sin yesterday, today and tomorrow. When I realized that the desire disappeared. And that's how you can be set free from this tremendous eros power. It's by the blood of Jesus and then by the grace of God. It's not your works. You can never set yourself free because that is so powerful. You're kidding yourself if you want to go to cold turkey in any sexual vices. I don't care whether it's prostitution or pornography or whatever. If you want to be set free this morning, there is an opportunity. There's no shame in it. I'm not going to call you up and say, anybody, anybody sex? You know, you know, like in the old days, you know, it's like so embarrassed to want to be set free of anything, right? The pastor said, any one of you struggling with pornography, stand up right now. It's like, oh, come on. 
Any of you watched those pornography last night? Stand up right now. I would never do it. But you will be set free by the grace of God. I pray this morning. Let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that there is a revelation of your grace. There's no condemnation. There's no judgment. There's no guilt. That doesn't set people free. So we're going to lean on your grace. We may fail a thousand times, but we're willing to get up and say, God, I'm going to try it again, but I thank you. You've forgiven my sin. I worship you. I know that condemnation and guilt is what had been holding me back and empowering the sin, Paul says. I'm going to take that power of sin away. The power of sin is guilt and condemnation, judgment, judgment. I take that away in Jesus' name. And we can walk freely. In Jesus' name. Amen. Second, second kind of love is Philosia, not philo, philos or whatever, philos, but it's philosia. I think I pronounced it correctly. It is self-love. The Greeks understood that in order to care for others, we must first learn, watch this, to care for ourselves. Now, this form of self-love is not the unhealthy vanity self-obsession, looking at mirror like two hours in the morning. It's a little dot, right? Nobody noticed except you. Oh, and you worry about it all day. It's like, oh, God, help me. It's not that kind of self-obsession, okay? It's not focused on personal fame, gain, and fortune, as in the case of narcissism. Instead, philosophy is a self-love in its healthiest form. Watch this. Only once you have the strength to love yourself and feel loved and accepted, and comfortable in your own skin, as it were, will you be able to provide love to others? The Word of God says that we are love our neighbor as what? We are love our neighbor as we love ourselves. If you cannot love yourself, how are you going to love your neighbor properly? If love your neighbor as yourself is the key to Christian living, how can we truly love our neighbor properly if we actually dislike ourselves and even hate ourselves. Now, I'm going to quote an ungodly man, but I'm going to quote him, okay? Don't throw stone. Aristotle, he says, all friendly feelings for others are an extension of a man's feelings for himself. In other words, you cannot give what you don't have. If you don't love yourself as the way that God loves you, how can you love other people around you? Some of you have been having problem loving other people. You know you should do it, but you just, this is not in you. You just, I just, you know, it's just not in me. I just don't feel it. The reason is because you have not loved yourself as God loves you. Maybe because you have been abused. Maybe because you have been shunned. Maybe because people have said things about you. Maybe because you've been hurt. You've been abandoned, betrayed. I don't know, for whatever reason, you just feel like you are not the perfect one. I got news for you this morning. The reason you're sitting here this morning is because God needs you to hear this. 
is that he loves you so much that he's willing to exchange himself for you. A lot of us, love, when we look at ourselves, we, we, we're not very happy. We, we're like, oh, you know, I don't know, you know, just, you know, and, and, and we, we, they say we're the, we're, the, we're the worst judge of ourselves. But friends, do you realize that you and I need to see us through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the grace of God, through the lens of the blood of Jesus. And when you can see it through that lens, oh, you see a completely different person. But unfortunately, most Christians, they see themselves through the lens of their hurts, through the lens of their past history, through the lens of their sin, through the lens of their mistakes. And of course, they can't see themselves properly. But if you're sitting this morning here, I just pray in Jesus' name that God will begin to remove those lenses out of your eyes. The things that people have said about you, the people, the things that people have done to you, that he will remove it from your eyes and you'll be able to see yourself at this innocent, perfect, beautiful baby in the eyes of God. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't care, nor do I want to know. Because what I need to know is have you have the blood of Jesus over you. Because his blood had cleansed you and washed away all your sin. You're as good as new. But you have to see yourself that way or you won't love yourself. And if you can't love yourself, you can't love other people. The power of this love is amazing. It can, if you don't have it, if you cannot love yourself, it will it prevent you from fulfilling your life destiny. It will prevent you from loving others. It will prevent you from having deep, meaningful relationships. But with it, you can achieve good successes in all your relationships. Have deep and meaningful relationships. Why? Because you no longer see yourself as, as what people have told you, what you've told yourself, but you now appreciate the creation of God and all the handiwork that he had done in your life. For you are his workmanship created for his good works. You are, in other words, his masterpiece, as some say. I close, head bows, please, this morning. I know this morning there are people sitting here that you have been having a hard time seeing yourself the way God sees you. And so you cannot love anybody. And you long for that intimacy. And yet, because of what you've experienced, you have been pushing people away, even the ones that you really, you really want to be close to. You push them away in some of the things you say, some things you do, some of your behavior, and you just don't know how to, I just don't know how to deal with it. You just can't, can't explain it. You cannot control it because its power is great. But this morning, it's going to change for you if you're willing to change. Or allow God to change it. Nobody look around. Nobody, I don't want anybody to look around. It's a solemn moment. I'm not going to get you to stand up and come out here and do just as I, whatever. 
this is, this is not the time. This is the time that I want you to cry out to God to remove that veil, that lens of hurt, that lens of betrayal, the lens of sin that had caused you to see yourself ugly, see yourself not worthy, see yourself not perfect. You need to see the way God sees you. I don't know if you have a picture of your when you were babies. Most of you probably have a picture of when you were baby. Do you, do you have it? Can you can you picture in your mind when you were baby? I I remember, you know, my my mom had taken a picture of me as a baby, all buck naked, you know, and 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 and, and lying on my tummy on on a, on the table, you know, and then they took a picture. I was smiling, you know, the innocence. You know, when God sees you, He sees that. And He knows the pain and the hurt that you have endured and gone through. He's not judging you for the fact that you cannot see yourself. He doesn't hate you or despise you because you can't see. All He wants to do is that He, he wants you to see yourself as He sees you so that you can understand and appreciate who you are so that you can move on to your destiny. Many of you have been stuck in a rut in your life because of this issue. Jesus wants to heal you this morning. So nobody is looking around. If you're the individual, say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I'm not going to get you out here. I just need you to see you and I pray for you. In my mind, I know who it is I'm praying for. That would you pray for me that I will be able to see myself through the eyes of my Father in heaven. 